What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. Amen. Good morning. So today's title of the message is called Christ in Context. Now, I think I'm pretty convinced the problem I've really noticed now that I'm a dad um, of three, the, the more and more kids I have, babe, are we done? I don't know. The more I have kids, the more I'm realizing I'm trying to analyze what's wrong with this world, right? The more I'm thinking about, oh, what, what kind of world is my daughter's uh, getting raised in? And I think I found a solution. If we, if we all do this, everything will be better. I don't think we have a content problem. We have a context problem. Amen, Trey. Thanks. Thank you. Um, nobody. Okay. Let me give you more context. <laughs> Alrighty then. Now, in fact, it's better off, I would even argue, that we have too much content today and not enough context. In fact, we almost need to slow down on the content because we need to know the context. I'm talking relationships. I'm talking the news. Fake news, right? I almost, fake news? Like, this is my first ever try at Trump, and I'll never do it again because that was terrible. Just the other day, if you don't know me, um, I YouTube. I'm that egotistical, and so I... Uh, put my life online, and just the other day I got a comment. But I, Jordan, I don't even know if I told you about this yet, but a guy called me out for not being a good parent. Now, first of all, when, let me just say this, if you are not a parent, don't talk about parenting, amen? All the parents in the room, right? Don't tell me how to parent, right? I couldn't wait to get kids so that I can tell other people how to parent, but something interesting happens. When you become a parent, you become less concerned about everybody else's and realize, oh my gosh, I need help for my own. Amen? You come up with a lot less ideas than what people need to do because you realize it's a lot harder than you thought. So I got called out this week, and it's a guy that I love and appreciate. In fact, he's probably going to listen to the podcast later. He lives in the Midwest. Um, sorry, man. I won't say your name out loud. But he called me out. I, there, was a, there was a video this week where I told my wife we were joking around, and I said, all right, babe, go and get the kid. You know, like, hurry up, get out of here, go and get my child. And um, and it was funny. I thought it was funny. Good timing. He said this broke his heart because I, I wasn't involved with the family. I was making my wife go and get the kid without me. He didn't know the context because the context was I actually was doing something fantastic. My wife called me earlier that day and said, babe, our kids are sleeping. They're not feeling well. Can you come home early so that I can go and get faith and we're going to have a little daddy, not daddy, um, mother-daughter date and get away and go to Target, my my daughter's favorite place, such a basic white girl. Like every time (laughs) we drive past Target, she goes, daddy, Target, are we going in there? Oh, no, not today, honey. We don't have enough money. You have money. No, I know, but if we go in there, we won't, right? (laughs) Um, And so I really badly wanted to comment to this guy and be like, bro, you don't even know the context. I put the content on YouTube. I am only showing you five to eight minutes, subscribe, five to eight minutes worth of my life out of a 24-hour day. Of course, you won't always know the whole context, but we seem to have that issue. We seem to make judgments about people. We make judgments about our own life, not fully understanding the whole context. So again, I will say we don't have a content problem. We have a context problem. This is point number one. It's actually, if you have your notes, it's already filled out. You're welcome, because I wanted to give the whole context. But here's the point. Content without context leads to conflict. That will save your marriage. Amen? I know, you're, I know your wife said something, but you need to take it in context, right? In ministry, 
Or you go to seminary, you learn all the content in the world, but what's more important is knowing the context. Because even though if somebody just lost a loved one, yes, God is sovereign, yes, God works all things together for good, but in the context, you just better shut up, right? You better not say a word. Now is not the time for them to hear about all these theological things. Now is the time for you to just give them a hug. We don't have a content problem. We have a context problem. And what we're going to look at today, Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and he's like, you know all the content in the world, but you have zero idea the context of it. And what we're going to have is, it's pointless to have the right passage if you have the wrong perspective. So Jesus, the king of context, deals with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 5. And the Pharisees had all the right passages, but they had all of the wrong perspective. I'm going to read it once again, because to be honest, when we read it out loud, I think more about, am I saying this too fast? Can they keep up with me? Than I am actually thinking of the text. Anybody with me? They're like, this guy's reading way too fast, okay? So it says, don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Law or the prophets, what is that? This is referring to the Old Testament. Other ways to refer to the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the writings— or you can just say the law. All of these are different ways to reference the Torah in the Old Testament, the first five books, the prophets, everything put together, okay? For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, in other words, forever, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does teach these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness, this is the hardest part for me, surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, I'm not abolishing the content of the Old Testament. In fact, I am fulfilling it because of the right context. You don't understand me because you have the wrong context. So there's two major parts to this passage, and we'll be done. The first part, verse 17 to 18, so good. It talks about Jesus and his relationship to the law, and I think it's going to be really helpful for us. Now, the second half of verses 19 and 20 is us as Christians, followers of the way, how we relate to the law. How many of us, we've had such a hard time figuring out what does the Old Testament mean for me? In fact, one of the greatest ways that God worked in my life uh, was when I finally read, my professor made me read the Old Testament, um, like the whole thing in 30 days. And I absolutely loved and hated it. Now, in context, you think the content of this looks like, I like pink, right? The context is, my, I told my wife this morning, hey, I need a uh, medicine, what do you call it, medicine ball? Which, I, I lift, no, I don't lift weights, but you know, like, that's not, this doesn't look like, what am I supposed to do? Anyways, this is not my pink cup is what I'm trying to tell you, but hopefully I don't start coughing. Now, here, okay, Jesus, first part, Jesus and the law. What does this mean for us? Functionally, many of us think that Jesus has come to abolish the Old Testament. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Jewish, they did not like Jesus because they thought our Old Testament is the Bible and you are going to ruin it. Everything you say doesn't seem to align. For us, we almost have the opposite problem. For us, we would rather, if we're honest, rather have just a New Testament Bible and not talk about the Old. Got some weird stuff in there. Which, first of all, I hate that we call it Old Testament because we're immediately thinking it's outdated. It's not. But so, here, a lot of us, we functionally wish Jesus did abolish the Old Testament. We wish, abolish means get rid of, he's done with it. Because we're embarrassed of some of the stories in the Old Testament, we'd rather just focus on the New. We'd rather, amen, focus on grace and not law. But I think we're missing out on something. That's a gross misstep if we think we don't need the Old Testament. 
In fact, uh, the last, oh man, couple months, I've been using all my quiet time just in the Old Testament. It's been so life-giving to hear how terrible they are and how terrible I am. It's great, you know? Okay, now, how does Jesus fulfill the Old Testament? This is going to be Theology 101. Now, first of all, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament because he is who we're looking for. You have throughout the Bible, you have King David, and I love talking about this. Guys, guess what? David is not the hero. Jesus is the ultimate hero. You are not David. (laughs) Welcome to church. You're the Israelite who is shaking in his boots, thinking there's no way we can defeat this giant. And that's okay, because we have a greater David in our place. We have Jesus, who has come, the giant of sin, Satan, and death, which has conquered, who has always been defeating us. He defeated the grave. That's what we're celebrating next week. That's what we celebrate every week. That's what we celebrate every single day. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament because every single character, and I I hate calling them characters because it sounds like a fable, every single person in the Old Testament actually points to King Jesus. You have the prophets, right? What, What do the prophets point to? The prophets point to Jesus being the ultimate prophet who confronts us with truth. Nobody confronts us with truth like Jesus does. You have priests throughout the Old Testament. What do priests do? Jesus is the ultimate priest because he is the one who ultimately comforts us in grace. He's there for us. He makes a way for us to God. That's the priest's main job, is to create sacrifices so that we can have a relationship with them. Jesus does that for us. You have uh, kings in the Old Testament. Jesus is the ultimate king who commands in authority. All the other kings in the Old Testament fell short. A lot of them really fell short pointing to the fact that we need a hero and there's only one and his name is Jesus. Amen? Jesus fulfills the Old Testament in one way by being the person they've always been looking for. But here's the second way and I think this is going to be so helpful for you. Jesus obeys every command in the Old Testament. How does he fulfill it? The law has so many requirements and Jesus fulfills every single one. Now, context is very helpful when we're reading the Old Testament. It's super important to understand context. So let's look at the content of the law, but we need to understand it with the context. So here, it's in your notes, there are three different types of laws. Again, theology 101. It's so funny how we have such a hard time with this. I'm going to make it so easy for you, okay? Number one, you have three different types of laws. The first type of law are ceremonial laws. Ceremonial laws are actually about the way to life. So what do you have? Jesus fulfills this through the cross and resurrection. So if you read the Old Testament, you have something about an altar, right? You have somebody burning incense. You have this thing called the Day of Atonement. You have bloodshed. You have these lambs. You have these scapegoats. All these things are saying you need to go and do this law. You need to perform this ceremony in order for you to be forgiven for that year. That is how Israel operated. What is beautiful when Jesus says it is finished on the cross, (coughs) there goes the cough, Medicine ball's not working, Starbucks. False advertising. When Jesus says it is finished on the cross, the veil is torn from top to bottom. Why? He has come to complete the Old Testament. This, the Old Testament was just a picture of what's to come. And now the veil is torn because we don't need to sacrifice any more lambs because Jesus fulfills the Old Testament by pointing that he is the ultimate lamb of God. Mary had a little lamb, little. It makes more sense now, right? I'm like, why does she have all these lambs, you know? And why was it so little? Anyways, so ceremonial law is a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross and the resurrection. So anytime you're in the Old Testament about burning incense, just think, thank you, Jesus. We don't have to do that anymore. But I'm seeing this as a picture of what you've done for us. And I don't have to do these things because you've done it in my place. Amen? 
Here's the second one. This would be the one that I think most people have issues with and don't understand, but it's very simple to, um, it's, it's really simple. Judicial laws are about the government of Israel. So Exodus 21, <clears throat> there's a passage in there where it says, what you need to do with a man who's been gored by an ox. Isn't that great? Let's, I pray that I won't have to figure that out with any of you. Like, oh great, church member got gored by an ox again. What does the Bible say about that, right? A lot of us think like, have you ever done that in your quiet time? <laughs> You're like, oh Lord, I don't know how to apply this to my life. How, what ox is coming in my life that I might get gored by? You know, like I, you just have to realize, oh, this is just judicial law because God, there's a, essentially a theocracy. And so you can say, praise the Lord. I don't have to worry about that anymore, right? This is just judicial laws for the government. It was very specific to Israel. And now you don't need it anymore, especially us as Gentiles. We don't need to follow that kind of law. Now we can gain wisdom from these laws. And I believe the founding fathers of America looked at the Old Testament and tried to figure out some different ways to create laws out of those. Lots of wisdom we can get from it. But it's not, what are you going to do if a ox gores you, okay? All right. Now, here's the third one. Here's the one a lot of us have confusion on. Moral laws. So ceremonial laws are about the way to life. Judicial laws are about the government of Israel. By the way, America is not the new Israel. Can I say that? Abraham Lincoln's not Abraham in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying. George Washington is not Moses. Hate to break it to you. That's for another crowd. Some people really believe that. Now, moral laws are about the way to live. This is good stuff, man. Ten Commandments. I would argue, I think it's still a good thing to follow the Ten Commandments, amen? This is a way for society to flourish. Every single society, if they're going to flourish and exist and be built up, they have to follow at least most of the Ten Commandments, okay? But there's actually more to that as well. There's actually a lot of text in there of what we're supposed to do, such as sexual conduct. There's, it's the way we conduct ourselves with other people. It's how we live our lives. So Jesus fulfills all three of these laws, Really, what, for our purposes, Jesus fulfills, sorry, the ceremonial laws and the moral laws. Ceremonial laws, Jesus fulfills it by saying, I am the life. All of these things about the lamb, you don't have to do that. I have now done it in your place. It is finished. The moral laws are saying, hey, this is how you're supposed to live. And what's so beautiful to me, something actually, Alexa, you've really blessed me in some of your Facebook posts. You talk about, what if we actually focus a little more on the humanity of Jesus? Because that's a beautiful thing, too. As we read in the New Testament, we not only need to see how he's God and he's here to save us, but there's certain things that he did while he lived on earth. He showed us what humanity is supposed to operate, how we're supposed to live. And Jesus does that for us, but he does it where we would fail. So, so here's, here's point number two. What, what does this all mean? How does Christ fulfill the Old Testament? I guess it's point number three. Just get over yourself. Point number four, whatever, 18. Okay. Jesus gives us the way to life, and Jesus lives out the way to live. That's how he fulfills the Old Testament. The Old Testament points to, how do we get life? Jesus says, I am the life. How do we live? Jesus says, follow me, and I will show you. Now, us following how he lives isn't what saves us. Just receiving him is what saves us, but we've been talking about all year. But it's really important to live out the way he lived because it brings joy to our soul, and it actually ministers and loves uh, other people. This is the good news of the gospel. If it was simply about Jesus giving us life, 
I would only want you to come one Sunday. We'll say, here's the gospel. Get you baptized, which you're doing next week. Let me know if you want to do it. There's a red card in your pen. We're going to mark it out. Put baptism. We'll talk to you this week. But there's an important part of actually living out this life, and that's why we have to come every week. That's why we have to minister to each other. That's why we have to live life together for the sake of our own souls, but also for the souls of those around us. This is why we gather in celebration with Easter, and this is content. Remember, content without context leads to conflict, and the Pharisees cannot imagine how this was actually, um, how Jesus was actually fulfilling the Old Testament. They thought, for sure, you are abolishing it. Now, let's go to the next part. Verse 19 and 20 are about our relationship to the law. He says some pretty troubling things here. He says, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I love his emphasis on doing. You'll see all throughout his Sermon on the Mount. He says, do this. Not just learn this, be doers of the word. Verse 20, though, I had trouble with all week. For I tell you, (coughs) unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees, the Pharisees in particular are people um, that I honestly think get a little bit more bad rap than we should give them. Um, Most believe that Ezra, I don't know if you remember Nehemiah, um, Ezra, he, he actually was the beginner of, of the Pharisaic movement. He was the father of, of all the, not literally, but you know, he was the beginner of the Pharisees. And honestly, the Pharisees started out as just a love for God's word. And it was this devotion to the word of God, and they were trying to preserve it and follow it. Um, and so honestly, when people in the culture, when they looked at Pharisees, they didn't honestly look at them as terrible people. They looked at them as, wow, these are people who go to church every single week. They memorize the whole Bible. They, they, they kind of have it all going on. So this is what's shocking. We have to just remember that because then it's shocking to us when we hear, you know those people, those Pharisees, who are incredible at everything? You need to be more righteous than them in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. How does that make sense? See, the Pharisees, they knew this. They knew that the Old Testament had 248 commandments. They had every single one memorized. Did you know in the Old Testament, there are 365 prohibitions, one for every day of the year. They had them memorized. But here's the problem with the Pharisees. They spent their entire life memorizing the content of the law, but never spent a moment meditating on the context of the law. You can memorize all the content in the world, but remember, a wise man once said, content without context leads to conflict. (laughs) Amen. I should be on Twitter more. Now, we need to be careful here. Because when we read this text, we can do one of two things. One, we can say, okay, we need to be more righteous than the Pharisees. The Pharisees memorized scripture. We need to memorize scripture. The Pharisees went to church. We need to be, we need to go to church more. We need to have better quiet times. We need need to have better love. We need to do all these things because we, it says, Jesus says, we can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless we are more righteous than the Pharisees. This is exhausting. And this is why a lot of people have turned away from the church. It's a terrible outlook, but, so that's not the answer, but here's the problem. We, we think that's not the answer, and we think, well, then it's nothing. Then Jesus might, he's not actually meaning what he's saying. Let's just remove the, the toll of obedience altogether. I don't think that's the picture either. So what is Jesus saying here? This is like the number one problem we're, we're I think, a lot of us are trying to figure out. How do we balance all this together? <coughs> um, come on, Starbucks, help me. There are three ways that I think we can summarize how our righteousness is greater, and these are the last three points. 
and then I'll be done. So the first point that I want us to see, I know it's the 18th point, but the first point, our righteousness is found in Christ alone. So right away, we know we are more righteous than the Pharisees because the Pharisees, depending on their own righteousness, we don't do that. We depend on the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Oh, that's some good, good news. We have hope. We don't have to worry about that. That's the whole point of the cross. That is, that is why we're right with God right now. When God looks at you, God sees perfection. Not because he sees you, but because he sees Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the good news of the gospel. So that's, that's number one. How are we more righteous? But I, but I want to go further because if we stop there, I actually don't know how much it will really change our life. This is a big point. Number two. The Pharisee's way of life is about more obedience. The Christian's way of life is about deeper obedience. So what Jesus was saying here, John Stott in his book on the Sermon on the Mount, says we are, it's kind of a rough quote, I don't remember it fully, just give me a break. He essentially said, our righteousness is greater than the Pharisees, not by degree, but by kind. What he meant, it's not that we do more, it's that we're deeper in our obedience. I want us to get that. So this word exceed is not about more. This word exceed is about depth. Why we obey. Not how we obey or what we obey. <laughs> I love that. Because the Pharisees memorized 248 commandments. And guess what happened? You have this thing called the Mishnah and the Talmud. Talmud. Well, I don't know. It's called the Talmud. And they wrote this. The Pharisees knew, okay, if your life, look, if your Christian life is about more and more obedience, 248 commands are not enough. It'll never be enough. You always want more. <clears throat> That's why when Jesus, oh, this is good. When Jesus was telling people about Sabbath, he wasn't telling them to stop keeping Sabbath. What he was telling them is to stop adding new rules to the Sabbath. Because the Pharisees, but we need more obedience. We, we still feel dissatisfied. We still feel like we're not enough. So if we just add, let's tack on some new rules for Sabbath. Let's tack on some new rules for fasting. Let's tack on some new rules for marriage. All these things, and maybe we'll start to feel like we're enough. How many of us do that, right? Oh, but there has to be a piano at every service. Oh, just shut it. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, we need this. We need more of that. We just need Jesus, amen? But I know that's like a pithy saying, but it's true. So Jesus was adamant about pointing at this foolishness. When you make it about the content, all you want is more. But when you make it about the context, you realize what you need is deeper. Imagine the confusion of the Pharisees. I love this part. Remember when, when somebody says, how would you summarize, you know, the law? And what did Jesus say? It boils down to two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. You realize that's all the law, just in those two? Jesus right there is saying it's not about more, it's about deeper. Because if you actually follow just those two, you will fulfill every other law in the book. That's good stuff. Amen, Trey. Thanks, Trey. You're welcome, Trey. You know what I'm saying? That's good stuff, guys. That's good stuff. I love that. But here's, the, here's what's reality. If we make, I promise you this, if you make it about more obedience and not this deeper, abounding love in Christ, you will either wind up with self-righteousness you think you've done it all. You look down at everybody else who is not as righteous as you. You're like, ha, 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 ha. I followed 248. You follow 10. You know what I'm saying? We have a lot of kids. That's how we talk. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like this, this whole game. You'll be self-righteous. Or a lot of my friends, you'll wind up in self-rejection. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I try to follow these laws. God must hate me. I don't, 
I hope I make it to heaven, but I'm not, nobody wants me in church. I just haven't done enough. Friends, that's because you have seen the law, you have seen obedience about more instead of about being deep. Is that even correct grammatically? More deep? Anyway, depth, whatever. It's about going deeper in your faith with Jesus. So then I asked myself, Trey, this sounds like a good sermon so far. However, how will people understand more verse deep? So I said, okay, that's a good point, Trey. Yes, I talked to myself in the third person. So I thought, Trey, I will add one more, plus it's three points. And Trey, you love the number three, so let's do three, three. This will be great. Okay, thanks, Trey. You're welcome. So here's point number three. Too much today? It's, it's got to be the medicine ball thing. <clears throat> okay, here's point number three. You ready? Pharisees only repent of their bad deeds while Christians also repent of their good deeds. I learned this a few years ago, and that blew my mind. This is the difference between more and depth. When I went to CBU, the California Baptist University, Cal Baptist, what am I doing today? The California Baptist University, best university on the planet. Um, let me know if you'd like to go. Hopefully they'll pay my tuition off because I keep bringing people to go there. However, so they won't. Uh, CBU, I remember, honestly, it was essentially what I would call like the first time I was genuinely discipled. They have a beautiful culture there, and we're trying to infuse it in the culture of our church. That's why a lot of you guys are in D groups. So yes, we have growth groups where we have a small group of people, like 10 or 12, but we also have been pushing D groups, two to three people getting deep in your life, actually talking about the cause of your sins, right? And this was the first time we did a lot of one-on-ones. I would meet with a, a few guys every week, and they would start out, what is God teaching you, all this stuff. But then eventually, I enjoyed it. I'm like, yeah, God's doing this in my life. God's doing that. This was fun. Thanks for the waffles. You know, and I would leave. Like, it was a great discipleship hour. But then he started calling me out. I remember the first call out. And I think a lot of you guys would be like, yeah, Trey, you still have that problem. So I haven't applied it. But he said, Trey, why do you name drop so much? I feel like you have an ache to name drop. I said, because I know everybody. You know what I'm saying? Because I just, I don't know. He said, I know, like, name dropping is helpful because, like, it can connect people, and it can build relationships, but I, the more I'm watching you, the more I think you're not doing it to empower a relationship or empower a person, you're doing it to impress people, and I'm not sure you're doing it the right reason. It's like, well, I'll just stop name dropping around you anymore, you know, like, and that would really convicted me. I thought, you know what, that's so true. See, like, I would never have repented of that, because it's a good thing, right? It's good to know people. You want to know somebody? I know somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, I always tell people, we're like the Christian mafia, me and my family. It's great. There's, there'll be a mailbox on 34th Street. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just what we do. Now, I love name dropping. Um, anyways, moving forward. But I realized that I need to repent of that because even though it seemed good, the intentions were all wrong. I don't need more obedience. I need deeper obedience. I'll give you some more call outs. My friend told me again, he also said, you know what, Trey, I think you rush people. I think you love people, but I also think you love them as long as they're on your calendar, and you especially don't listen to people who don't know how to tell a story. Amen, brother. <laughs> right? Let's get to the ending, you know? Like, what are you trying? The whole time, I'm just trying to fill in the blanks for him. Like, and then you won? No, 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 not, not yet, son. <sighs> like, my grandpa, it's great. And, I, and like, I already know his story. You know, he's told it to me the, every time I see him. You know what I'm saying? I love you, grandpa. Um, I know you're not listening to this podcast. You don't know how to do that. Now, um... <laughs> But, but he called me out and said, you know what, Trey? A hurried, he didn't say that because I said it a couple weeks ago. This is my quote, but, you know, I'll, I'll give him credit. No, I won't. It was me. But a hurried spirit blocks the Holy Spirit. 
You see, so like it looks like I'm doing so many good things and I'm so busy and I love somebody real quick though. So I need deeper obedience. I need to love that person. I, my heart dropped the other day. We love our college students. Uh, pray for them. They're like zombie mode right now. They're trying to like just coast into the finals and just survive. Amen. A lot of our seniors have done capstones that are incredible. Anyways, um, so we I met a couple weeks. Uh, actually, Caleb um, was talking about discipline in my table. I know some of you are here. Don't worry. I'm judging you. And so we were at the table together. And I'm not. But and the question was, have you ever been disciplined by another brother or sister in Christ? Like, have you ever been called out by your sin? <clears throat> and my table sat there and couldn't think of anything. And then one of them said, my dad, I said, listen, your dad should have disciplined you every day of the week. Now I'm talking about, like, when have you been called out by a brother? And it really made me realize, I think a lot of us were so dysfunctional in our walk because we haven't let other people come into our life and bring us to deeper obedience. We've just simply thought it's all about more obedience. And I promise you, you're missing out on blessings for your soul and on blessing other people in a more genuine way. Now, a lot of us, I think we don't like the content of a hard rebuke because we haven't received it in the context of a healthy relationship. Rebuke is beautiful in the right relationship. And I think that's what Christ is calling us to. So a few more that my friend, my uh, mentor always told me. He said, Trey, why do you try to drop wisdom bombs? Do you actually want them to change or do you want to impress? Well, I, I would like both if I'm being honest. <laughs> you know, impress and empower maybe. <clears throat> Another one. Trey, why are you listening to so many podcasts? I know it looks like you want to learn a lot, but what if it's just because you're afraid of silence? What are you not actually wanting to confront with? Like, what, what is something you're avoiding? I said, my conversation with you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, this one got me. And I'm not going to lie, he never said this to me, but I said it to myself. Again, third person. Um, are you ministering because you want to serve or because you feel like you deserve to be served? Are you doing this whole thing to serve people or for people to serve you? Whoa! Again, I want us to see there's a difference between more obedience and deeper obedience. And in this deeper obedience, it's not about calling other people out. It's really seeing your own depth of your depravity and just wanting to become more like Jesus. And this version of Christianity brings hope to the hopeless. This version, the true gospel, is one where we are truly a city set on a hill that is bright and shining and one that people are attracted to. More and more brings death. Deeper and deeper brings life. See, a lot of us, we can easily be praised for things and not actually be growing into Christ. So how many of us, I want you to think about, what good deeds do you need to start repenting of? That's how God seems to work. Now, I want to remember, I'm, I'm closing. Content without context always leads to conflict. A wise man once said. Now, let me give you the context of the gospel story and I'm done. This is the context, music, you guys can start coming up. The context of this gospel story is that God designed the world to flourish. Human relationships, we're actually always supposed to go deeper and deeper. We're supposed to love and care for each other. But then we have this thing called sin. Sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, and it's all of us, we're deciding, <clears throat> come on medicine ball, we are deciding to live our own way. We are deciding to make our own rules and live our own lives, and this leads to brokenness. 
not believing that God has what's best for us, but trying to pursue what we think is best. And that means we are broken. And we all have done this. We all try to be our own hero. We look for other things to give us satisfaction. But the good news of why we're here is Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament. He came to fulfill the story of God. And the story of God is this. Here is the way to life. You can't do it, but Jesus did it for you. And here is the way to live. You will fail, but Jesus set the example for you. He has done it for you. And Galatians says that it's Christ in me. It's Christ who lives in me. I can now live this Christian life because I don't have to do it on my own. Christ is empowering my every step. We receive Christ through faith and repentance. We just say, I'm leaving behind self-righteousness. I can't do it on my own. I'm tired of acting like I'm good enough. I'm not. I'm leaving behind self-rejection. I'm not going to say I'm terrible. I'm just saying, God, here is everything, but I'm relying that you've done it for me, so I'm not going to hide anything. Here is all my sin. Here is all my brokenness. And in, in return, I receive your life and life in abundance. But here's the really good news as well. Now we as Christians get to live the rest of our life growing deeper and deeper into the life of Christ recovering God's original design that he had all along and that is us loving God with all of our heart with all of our soul with all of our mind with all of our strength but can only be done not by more obedience but by deeper obedience and then we can start loving our neighbor as ourselves, truly flourishing because of the blood of Christ that enables us to do that this is the good news and it's available for you there's nothing you have to do except receive and your life's going to be dramatically changed. I just want you to know that is always on offer. But here's a warning. In this life, we don't just repent when we're bad because guess what? Every other religion does that. We also repent when we do good because so often we do it for the wrong reason. Because we are realizing it's, we don't, it's not about looking like we're loving. It's actually loving do that because in Christ we are actually 